Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Everybody and welcome to yet another immortal episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan, the world-renowned number one podcast, busting all of the charts only in my mind. Starring Nick Offerman, featuring what's up, his wife, me, and special <laughs> guest starring the luminous, powerful diva. Lena Waithe. <laughs> Lena, you look, you look like a kingpin in that lighting. I mean, you are a kingpin. Who am I kidding? Okay. But, you know, you look, you're, you look in the part. Um, we're talking to Lena on Zoom, and she's got some very powerful, dramatic backlighting happening. I know. Looks pretty it's like, cool. I know. I'm going I'm to I'm turn around and figure this out. Well, I like it. It's on. It's on. Well, I like seeing yeah. your face, though. So whatever you want to do. Know. Because that's a good face. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Lena. So you guys know Lena from um, lots of things, many, many things, because she is, she's a power player. She's kicking ass and taking names, as they used to say back in the day. You know, the first thing you guys might know her from is Master of None, that amazing Uh show. Whoop. One of my all-time favorites. And um, so, Lena, you were on it, but then you also won the, you were the first black woman to win an Emmy for writing, which is so fucking cool. For outstanding writing in a comedy series. Okay. Uh, All right, good. Got it. Clarification. Which is, um, you know, well, it, that, that was very much <clears throat> an honor for me because of how much I love half-hour television. Um, and I grew up on multicams. So that was a different kind of rhythm, you know. Uh, but also, too, like, multicams is what ruled everything. For a while. I mean, I studied Marie Tyler Moore show. I studied Rhoda, uh, Alden Family, Maude, things like that. And all the way up to, obviously, Friends and Will and Grace. But it really shifted, you know, with 30 Rock. And, and that happened when I was living in L.A. So it was all of a sudden everything I knew changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is new. This is different. Um, and uh, and it was this new way. Not that it was like new, but it was different. 
from what we all knew. And so I kind of had to learn a new language, but I, but I wrote a spec script for, for 30 Rock. People that don't know what that is, that's where you write a script of a show as if you're on the show, mm-hmm. even though you're it's not. It's like you're <laughs> it's a way to audition, show. kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's a way to show people that you can mimic someone's voice. And, um, and that 30 Rock spec got me a lot of attention um, and, and got people sort of talking about me. And I think it was because <clears throat> it was a new way of speaking for half hour television. And then obviously fast forward to me being on a show like Master of None, which is absolutely a descendant of 30 Rock. How'd you meet Aziz? How did that all get started? I never even asked you that. I, I honestly, Yeah, I honestly met him in a very interesting audition process. He, um, Allison Jones changed my oh, life. She cast yeah, that. Nick too, because she cast Parks and Rec, yeah. Allison Jones, mm, raise a glass. Allison, yeah. She, um, she actually sort of like beckoned me. She saw this thing I had done on, on, on YouTube, which was a presentation for what ultimately became 20s, which I'm not in. But for some reason, she said, I want to meet the girl behind this, who was behind this. And so I went to go meet her. I didn't know who she was because um, I didn't know, I, I didn't know casting directors but then of course uh, my then manager was like well she's like a famous one like she like like cast freaks and geeks and I was like what surprise <laughs> me I was like oh shit okay you're gonna be with two crazy uh, credits so I just went in to meet with her and um she asked me she's like have you ever considered being in front of the camera and I was like no I have not like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm trying to be a television writer I'm like I want to be like one of the greats one of the half hour television writers she's like okay 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 so well, let me bring you up for some stuff um just anyway. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so she did, she brought me in for some stuff and I booked a small part on second season of the comeback, um, mm. which was like one of my favorite shows and, and, and Patrick King and Lisa Kudrow, those geniuses. I was just sort of like played a super small part, um, on an episode in that show. And she brought me in. I, I read it. I read with Julia Louis-Dreyfus for like a character on beat, <laughs> uh, which I didn't get, but it was a crazy experience. And then next thing I knew when, when she came on to, to cast Aziz's show, he kind of went with the, the, the thing of, I want to meet interesting people and have conversations. Mm-hmm. And then if I like them, then I want to audition them. So my first meeting with Aziz was me going to his house and sitting with him and talking mm-hmm. to him. That's how and, we and first met, like, hey. remember? <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you came over. I wanted to pitch you something. You came over. That's right. And I opened the door and you were coming up the driveway and I was like, wow. I already this like this person. <laughs> you have so much personal power and you're so um, charismatic. Oh, thank you. I used, I used to call you. it swag. <laughs> right. That's cool. what the kids, is that what the kids call yeah. it? Well, luckily when Aziz asked Allison, like, hey, send me some interesting people, she just, by the grace of God, said, well, then you should meet Lena Way. And so I went to his house and I sat with him and Alan Yang, who's also the co-creator. Mm, who worked on show, Parks and Rec, writer, yeah. Also. The writer on Parks and Rec. And obviously that's how Alan and Aziz became, you know, close friends. And I think just kind of realized they had very similar sensibilities in terms of comedy and like what they wanted to do. And also, I mean, I also, I'm obsessed with Parks and Rec, loved it, loved disease on it, obviously loved you in it. And I think um, they, they, there are limitations when you're on a network show. And even though Parks took so many chances and also really changed the game in terms of comedy and taking risks, I think Aziz and Allen knew they wanted to take more risks. Um, and so they did, they stepped out and created this, this show that they didn't even have a name or title for it yet, <laughs> Classic Aziz and Allen. And so it was just like the Aziz and Sorry show. That's all I knew. And I went and sat with him. I sat with him and Allen for like 30 minutes. They were like, it's 30 minutes, just didn't have a conversation. And because I was used to going out for staff meetings, that's really what it felt like. It felt like I was in a staff meeting, which is pretty much when you have your little 
bio pitch and you kind of kind of be funny and you talk about your script and this and that. But the only difference was they hadn't read a script. I was the script. They were just meeting me and I just was myself. I talked about all the things I was experiencing, what I was like, this little stuff about me. And I got a call that he wanted to read with me. And I went in and because I'm a writer, I said, hey, can I punch this up? <laughs> can I, can I? <laughs> He's like, what? Okay, sure. So, yeah. Uh, okay. so <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, sure. And so when I read with Aziz, I was saying lines to him that he wasn't prepared for. So he was laughing. He was like, he, we were, he was like laughing with me. As Alan was laughing. Allison was laughing. So I was like, okay, this is like going well. And um, but from the min- the minute, and you guys know this, obviously being in television and working with other actors. Like the uh, chemistry is a thing you can't create, you can't fake it, you can't force it. And Aziz and I, for some crazy reason, because we could not be further apart, seemed to be more different, but we just kind of sat down and just sort of started clicking immediately. It just made sense. And he did a really cool thing when it came for the test uh, part of it, where people don't know when you get when you test for a show. It's basically like getting the the powers that be, the studio and the network, to approve the bankers. Even yeah. Yeah, even if, the, even if the creatives obviously want you and like you, they have to get the people that pay the bills to just go look at the tape and go, okay, yeah, we're in agreement. Mm-hmm. So I have to go in for a test, and I've never done – I didn't even do a test. I didn't know what a test deal was. This is all new to me. So I'm sitting with uh, – so I go in, and the other woman testing me is this, like, lily white, straight as a board, like, woman. It was me. And I'm like oh, – <laughs> You yeah, can it just was say it was me. That, <laughs> That's how we met. So Not I'm like, straight anymore. Spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> straight too before it gets wet. So anyway, so I was like, I was like, so are, are you reading for Denise? She's like, yeah, you're reading for Denise. So we were like confused. But afterward, I realized, I think Aziz was trying to make a point. I think he was like, if this was 1994, this would be Denise. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> like, this is a new day. And this girl should be my psychic. But he, he to his credit, the character Denise was supposed to be a potential love interest for him and like the girl of the group. And, um, and he, you know, said he was like, I just like you better and we'll make you a lesbian and I'll figure out the love interest thing. Oh, later. That's and cool. We, yeah. Back and rewrote, um, you know, all those 10 episodes, him and Alan to fit, to fit the character to fit to me and, and the rest is history. And I love that story because that happened so much, so many times. Like, I know Ted um, Knight, who who played Ted Baxter on the Mary Tyler Moore show, he was supposed to be this tall, dark, and handsome guy that was supposed to be a potential love interest for Mary as well. Uh, but obviously, when Ted Knight walks into the room, you let Ted Knight be a clown. And and that's why Ted Baxter uh, was sort of this like, character, but he was supposed to be a love interest for Mary. Oh, uh, wow. I never even heard that. And then what was his great show where he was a cartoonist in San Francisco? Mm, you know, remember, oh. That's... that's that's great. I, I love remember. I love that we come to Lena Waithe to get to get uh yeah, the ba- sitcom history. The backstory <laughs> behind the scenes. I know you're good at that. Yeah. But um you know that's funny because um you and I were we were texting and you were getting ready to go to London to shoot something and I was going to be over there because Nick was going on going to be on tour and I was going with them and then and then everything went on lockdown, and now you're not in London, and neither am I. I know. I, I was know. so we're, looking forward to that. Planted. I know, me too. I mean, and I've been texting with Aziz and FaceTiming with um, Aziz a lot lately. Um, so, yeah, so it's just like I think a lot of people's projects that they were excited about, you know, they had to sort of take a pause. And 
but it's sort of giving people time to, I think, reflect and, and work on other things. But it's, it's, it was such a, a crazy thing. Like we were all moving and had plans and things that we were going to do and everything just sort of literally came to a screeching halt. But yeah, I was actually about to get on a plane like that day. And um, my agent called and said, yeah, that uh, day. NBC Universal is going to be liable. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, on the mm-hmm. day. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, day. you and I hit it off right away. I think it's safe to say. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We like to do a little gossiping, which we won't do here. No, of course not. If we can, I don't know if we can restrain ourselves though. Well, a little we, bit might slip out just by accident. We won't do. Yeah. We won't do any more. We already got that Ted Knight bombshell <laughs> dropped on us a minute ago. Hot goss. <clears throat> That's the kind of goss I want to give you. The hottest of goss. So I was a little late to the. Uh, Nick and I were a little late seeing it, but. Um, we saw Queen and Slim, and I told you that we just loved it. I loved your okay. Lena wrote the um, screenplay to the movie Queen and Slim. I just loved it, and I just wanted to ask you about it because we didn't get to talk about, you know, how you got the idea for that and how that came about. Because it's so, it's such a beautiful movie. I just really, really, I thought it was one of my favorites of the year. Agreed. For sure. And I got, I think you you should have gotten more awards attention for that movie. I'm mad. Well, look, I I, I appreciate that. But the funny thing was when I was writing it, that could not have been further, I think, from my mind. You know, I really, it was a story that I felt like I really had to tell. And the way the the log line for it came to me is so crazy. I was at a a party like the Hollywood Reporter and James Frey uh, uh, came up to me. Got a lot of people know him. He wrote mm-hmm. a million little pieces. He got in little... trouble with Oprah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did. But he's since I yeah. think you know come out, come out of that. You know, <laughs> but you know, but that's how I knew him. You know, he came up to me and introduced himself, and I said, "Yeah, I, yeah, I know who you are." And he was like, "Yo, I got this idea for a movie that I can't write because I'm a straight white guy." And so I was like, "Okay, well, what's the idea?" And he was like, "You know, uh, black man, black woman on a first date." not going great, not going horribly. They're on their way home. A police officer pulls them over. Uh, things get heated. They, they kill him in self-defense. And rather than calling the police, they decide to get in the car and run. And I remember thinking, yeah, you shouldn't tell that story. But like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's interesting. And, and, I, and I'm sure in Hollywood, you know how you, you talk to people at a party and, and you never see them again. I, he probably was surprised. At, like, I was like, no, give me your email. And like, I was like, <laughs> I emailed them. And like, we just stayed in, in contact. And I said to him, I said, he had a, he had a, a title. He had like an outline uh, just to kind of get the idea out. And I said, I don't want the title. I don't want the outline. I just want that idea. And I can take that and I know what that movie is. And and, uh, and it took me a while to kind of even figure out what I would call it. But it ultimately became Queen and Slim. And uh, there are, I'll give spoilers um, here. So no, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, press pause and go watch <laughs> it. But I knew I want the characters' names to be revealed until they were killed. Because I find that with a lot of black people, we don't know their names unless a police officer oh, kills them. Like wow. Andrew Blank, like Mike Brown, like mm. you know Trayvon Martin, and things like they Trayvon Martin was not killed by a police officer; he was killed by a vigilante um, in his father's neighborhood, uh, mm-hmm. which is even worse. It was just like a citizen who didn't trust him being there, and like mm. you know killed him. And so, the truth is, I really it was really a story about a bit of a metaphor for what it's like to be a black person in the world, to always be defending yourself, to always sort of be still being on the run always sort of looking for freedom wherever you can find it. And, um, and it is odd, I think, for, for, for that story to come from me, because I, you are talking to a woman who, who really studied, you know, uh, 
comedy television and that people that watch the film can see my comedic side come out wherever I can. Um, I try to find places of brevity, yeah, levity. So, but that's the thing about my voice is it feels like a muscle that I'm always trying to work and I'm always trying to stretch and I'm always trying to see where it's weak, where, where it's weak, where it's strong. Um, and, uh, and, and Queen of Stone was a really beautiful exercise, uh, for me to tell. And I, I like story. how lyrical the movie is too. And how, I can't think of the director's name, the, the woman who oh, directed Elena, it. How did you? Elena Matsukis. Yeah. She's really, really good. Phenomenal. Yeah. Did you know her before? I did. Well, she directed the, the Thanksgiving episode. Oh, uh, oh right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Which we got the Emmy for. And she and I bonded over the course of that, that episode. And I think oftentimes in television, with television directors, you have a different director all the time. Like your, you, your connection is really more to the writers in television, more so than the directors. Although, uh, Megan, your experience is very different, Olin Gray, because obviously you had the same director, which is also very rare in television. Yeah. So we had different directors, obviously, on, on Master of None. But I knew for that episode, that Thanksgiving episode, I wanted Melina and so did Aziz because of just her body of work and she was so talented. So she came and directed the episode and she and I just bonded over the course of that time. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to her about this, the script at the, that time. I wasn't finished with it, but I was like, yo, I got this movie, you know, I want you to direct it. She's like, okay, okay, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so when I finished it, um, you know, I, I just knew she was the person. And she had never directed a feature before, but everybody was so excited about her. I mean, because she's most known for directing uh, Beyonce videos. Uh, she she did uh, Insecure. Um, and then obviously she became known for the Thanksgiving episode. But and everybody was on her heels like, when are you going to do a movie? When are you going to do a movie? People were starting to ask me if I wanted to write a feature as well. So uh, it wasn't even about trying to get hype. I just bonded with this woman and I knew she was the person I want to do my first feature with. So she read it and agreed to do it. And, and it changed everything. And Daniel Kaluuya read it before Melina. He and I had a dinner hmm. just hanging out. And he was like, what is he working him. He's amazing. And I told him, I told him, and he said, I have to read that. And he, he said, he's like, not even, he wasn't angling to be in it. He said, I just want to read it because I'm a fan of your voice. I was like, okay. I sent it to him. It was a very early draft. And like literally two days later, he emailed me and said, I have to be slim. I have mm-hmm. to be slim. And I said, oh, well, Melinda has to read it first and <laughs> see if she wants to direct it. And if she chooses to, to direct it, then who, who Queen and Slim are will have to be a conversation between she and I. And he said, okay, I'll wait. Then he did. He waited a few months. God, that's cool. But and that's how we became like through the hard way. And then our mission was to go out and find Queen, which we did. Jody, Jody Turner Smith, who was amazing. So was amazing. good. Yeah, both of them were so amazing. And you know, the whole movie kind of rides on them being as yeah. great as they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what's so funny to me is um, I don't remember when I met you, but it was not very long. It was maybe, I don't know, a couple months before you won the Emmy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, you were doing your thing and all of that. But then I swear to God, (laughs) like, I turn around and you know every person in Hollywood. You're on the cover of 15 magazines, like (laughs) 4,000 photo shoots. Everybody's like, Lena Waithe, the greatest person that ever lived. I was like, okay, well, that was fast. Uh, No. (laughs) When you got it, you got it. But that is also, I was very grateful for that opportunity. And, and, and I think that's the interesting thing about our industry is awards and award season and what it means. And it's exhausting. It's crazy. Like if, if anyone's ever been on an Emmy campaign, it is exactly that or our Oscar campaign or whatever, maybe it is a campaign. Like you are really out there, like doing panels, doing parties and Netflix is, I mean, they're great at it. They can like, they will 
figure it out. And, um, and they kind of know when they have something. I mean, there were whispers about the Thanksgiving episode very early, like before, hmm. we even, uh, before it even came out. Um, and so I was sort of hearing that, but I never thought anything of it. And it's crazy because as much as I love television, writing television, that wasn't a focus. It wasn't like, oh, one day I want to win an Emmy. I think for me, looking at, you know, the Norman Lears of the world and um, Jenny Biggs and Michael Patrick King, I just wanted to be considered, you know, one of the greats. You know, I really wanted to be respected as a, as a, as a comedy writer. Um, and that, but that was it. I, I really wanted the respect of my peers, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and also Max Mushnick and, and, and Marta Kaufman and, and, and you know, David Crane, all these guys, like these people that are gonna forever be in the hall of fame. I think of, you know, television comedy writing. I wanted someone to consider me to be, you know, be able to say my name in the same sense as theirs. So that's why. But I feel like you're more, you're more of a recognizable name already than any of the people that you just mentioned. And it's been like two years. I mean, it's really fast. Okay. Maybe three. Those are my heroes. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, um, like those people I look to. And so, but that's why it is interesting for me because I think the Emmy obviously also, it just put a lot of eyeballs on me. Um, And I think the speech kind of meant something to people. Uh, But I also knew that I would be a first if I won. And so I didn't, I didn't take that lightly. And so, and and I also didn't want to be the last, you know, I was very grateful that this amazing writer, her name is Stephanie, who was a writer on Atlanta, was nominated for her episode of uh, an episode called Barbershop uh, the year after, which to me was very important mm, because yeah. I are in comedy rooms as well, Another great like, show. There, you know, trying to pitch and trying to get our jokes in, trying to get our jokes off. It, it's, it's very competitive. <laughs> you know, but I think there's another element of it that maybe, you know, you don't see as clearly, but you as a person, are, you're such um, a bright light to be around as a person. Like I genuinely really liked you from the beginning and you have some kind of um like I said you're very charismatic but you're friendly and you're mm-hmm. you know you're present when you talk to people and I think that there's something to be said for that because I I don't think that you can just like win an Emmy and then all of a sudden like mm-hmm. you know you make the kind of inroads that you've made I think there's something else to it but I think it's that people genuinely like you as a person they're drawn to you and they want to they want to have you around Wow. Well, that's a huge compliment. Um, And that means a lot because I think particularly with people who are in television, really like we we, all three of us are, you have to have that quality. You know, I found because I think people don't even sometimes realize why they like certain TV characters or what it is, why they like a certain actor is because they represent something, you know, like like I'm a big uh, Mary Tyler Moore fan. Uh, you know, um, I'm trying to do a documentary about her, actually. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. 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 I, I just mean, got you mentioned book. that. I forgot. Yeah. I just got the book, um, I Rota, uh, you know, about <laughs> the film Harper wrote, uh, just because like there was something and I feel like you're, you're in those, those lines with those ladies, you know, where there's something about you, you know, that makes people feel comfortable. Nick, there's something about you and Aziz and all those characters, uh, Amy Poehler on Parks and Rec that like, keeps me coming back because it is the characters, but it's also the actors that embody those characters. And well, you're very much who you are. You know, there's no artifice. You, you know, you, you. it's very clear from the minute that someone meets you, I think, that you're not trying to pretend to be something you're not. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> you're which, one of a kind. Which is, which is very interesting because that has been something that has been a, a tad frustrating for me because I am still a bit of an anomaly. 
in terms of the fact that I'm a masculine presenting black lesbian woman. And I'm not alone. Like, you know, it's like you have, say, Samira, Samira Wiley, you know, who's on Orange is the New Black and Handmaid's Tale, who is happily married. And, and they're very public about that. And then Wanda Sykes was also happily married and has kids. But for, for me, you know, because I might be, might be considered to be more masculine presenting than Samira, um, because I will never be seen on a red carpet in the dress. I just won't. <laughs> Good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so the thing is, is, but I'm not the only one, but I'm the only one I think that's unafraid to be this unapologetically in front of people. And so-, so Well, you and very much have your own style, you know? True. True. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and even like when I do photo shoots, like my team will say, like, don't try to put her in a dress. And I feel like that's, I don't know if that would have been okay, maybe five years ago, maybe mm-hmm. six years ago, 10 years ago. Um, because there's, you know, there's still, I think there's that pressure, particularly for us when I want these red carpets or our premieres, there's a pressure to, well, let's do a face and let's do this. And I'm just like, nah, I even stopped wearing makeup almost as protest because I'm like dudes don't work gotta wear makeup they don't gotta do all that stuff so it's like I was trying to get do my facialist keep the skin right so I don't have to wear makeup mm-hmm. um, you know just because I'm a woman doesn't mean I want to have a you know a beat face all the time or or to feminize me in some sort of way so I think but in, in, in essence I almost get credit for that but the truth is I'm these are I, I'm just sort of putting my comfort level first and I think that kind of sort of creates this thing where I've now also become a bit of a poster child for a community of people, which can really be tough because I'm still a person fumbling my way through life and, and people have to watch me fumble and they got to watch me grow. And I also feel like I've kind of grown up in front of people too. Yeah. Well, you know what though, during your, your Emmy speech was like the first time that people got to see uh, what a powerful speaker you can be. You're great <laughs> at putting out the message and it's translated into your activism and not, I mean, a lot of people are activists, but not everybody are good at um, getting a message across in a simple, just like me trying to finish the sentence, getting (laughs) a message across in a simple way. That's also quite powerful. Mm. So, you know, we were talking to Billy Porter and I was saying that he can preach. Well, I think you can preach, you know, you just can. And it's just something that people either have, they like you have it or you don't. I don't think it's, I think it's not something you really learn to do. And I think that's such a great um, thing in addition to uh, your writing and, you know, your producing and all of that um, and your acting, uh, Mm -hmm. that you are able to... um, speak so powerfully to, you know, you said you become sort of a poster child for some groups of people and that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, it kind of comes with the territory, I think when you're first at the brick wall. Um, and I, and, and, and in many ways I'm not a first in some ways I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't easy for, for James Baldwin to be himself at a time, you know, it wasn't, easy for Lorraine Hansberry to, you know, who we've now found out was queer. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Even though she was married to a lovely man, she, you know, had to be an artist sort of first and, but also an activist as well. And I definitely try to study the history of particularly black artists, um, sometimes more specifically black queer artists. uh, And, and you kind of don't get just to be an artist. You kind of have to be an activist too. And, and it's a burden that my white counterparts don't always bear. 
Mm-hmm. Like, truth is, is like Quentin Tarantino has a very different role than Spike Lee. Um, mm. And 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 it's it it can be frustrating sometimes uh, because I can't write Django Unchained. If I do that, I'm gonna have a whole lot of problems mm-hmm. <laughs> with black people, you know, with white, particularly with black Twitter. But <laughs> he's allowed to do that, you know, um, and that's fine. You know, he's he's allowed to express himself however he sees fit. But I, what people often forget is when you're a person of color, then also you have to be a queer person on top of that, and then you're a woman. You know, you have handcuffs on your hands when you're sitting at your laptop because you're thinking about, you know, the army of people, not just in front of you that are going to hopefully see this piece of work. But you got an army of people standing behind you, breathing down your neck, looking at the laptop, the screen going like, well, would would a black person do that? Well, you're not going to have another gay character in there. Uh, Mm. Well, she's too feminine to be gay or he's too masculine to be bisexual. It's like there's so much that goes into it. So I think what I've been doing more recently is trying to silence the noise and just just try to be as free of an artist as I can be because that's the only way people will get something out of me that's actually interesting but that's, what happened that's yeah, the key I, to success for an artist I mean your yeah, uniqueness I, is what makes you special and that's it yeah. yeah but Twitter sort of also I think changed Hollywood a little bit because you know showrunners are there showrunners and I, and I, I could be one of I'd be on there too looking at what the audience is saying you know, I know Shonda really kind of got into it where she would go back and forth with fans about characters and this and that. And Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, Shonda Rhimes. And it can be a slippery slope. Now, luckily, Shonda always says, look, it's still my show. I'm going to talk to y'all, but it's mine. But everyone has a microphone now. And, mm. um, and, and the audience is more involved in our work than I think they've ever been before. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway. And on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Nikki, do you want to get in on this action? Because we don't have Lena for too much longer, or I don't even want to think about it. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I find that interesting. The um, that you know, you you set a, a an artistic course for yourself, and you had uh, the opportunity for your talent to to uh, be rewarded in a way, you know those of us that are lucky enough to, to end up getting paid for, for working in this business generally, you know, usually there's something substantial to what we do. We bring something to the table, but we also would be assholes if we didn't also admit that there's a great deal of luck involved. So, so, you know, you've, you've run into a, things have gone well, you know, where suddenly you're, you're, uh, and, and with good reason, you know, but it, 
everything has come together. And I think that's really interesting by, by uh, expressing your true voice, the, the things that, you know, you want to tell the world from your experience. It's, it is, I think, fascinating that in this day and age, you, I mean, it seems like an, an incredible minefield to become the poster child for these communities that, I mean, do you, uh, do you run into a lot of, uh, a lot of explosive blowback? You know, do you have to like, <laughs> do you have to shut up, shut those channels off at some point? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, like Queen and Slim was like the first, I would say, big, like, punch to the jaw, I think I got um, as an artist, because also I, I experienced that cliche thing of where, like, I was the, the darling, like every there was nothing but love. Like, I could be on right. Twitter all day. People were like, oh, I can get off Twitter, man. Oh, Twitter is so toxic. I'm like, oh, well, I love it. It's great. Da, 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 da. You know, it was like a drug. And then Queen of Slim <laughs> happened. And um, and there's a thing that happens is like with familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I, it's a thing that people sometimes they, they get mad and they're like, well, because a lot of black folks, I was like, didn't love the ending. They're like, why didn't they get to the, you know, the, we deserve a win. And Lena, come on. you da, 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 da. And it was tough, man. And I was like. I took the bait in some places, some places I didn't, you know, hmm. definitely got the call from the public, like, get off Twitter, da, 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 da. And it was difficult uh, because that's when I really learned what it meant to be a Black artist, hmm. which that's is that it is difficult because mm-hmm. my community will be tough. They are tough. You know, I, and I, I'm kind of, I, I didn't know that that controversy was happening and I, I, I'm not hundred percent surprised, but I'm a little surprised just because I, I thought the ending was very powerful and, you know, I mean, I know there's, I know it's not intended to be, it's not, um, a recreation of Bonnie and Clyde, but there's an element of, right, you right, know, these right. two, a, a man and a woman going out on the lamb and, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's interesting to know. I, I didn't know that. And I don't think we were yeah. aware. And that's the other thing too. So a lot of like, I would get, I was getting calls from like, like high ups at like studios and places calling congratulations. Cause, cause here's the crazy thing. I got a rave review from like Ale Scott, like, which is like, what, how do you get that? Like <laughs> New York like Times. Carvel Wallace and like, um, Jelani Cobb, I mean, just like phenomenal uh, writers. A, a one woman just wasn't even reviewing it. She was just like, for once, I was surprised when going to the movie theater. She's like, I was, I was surprised. Yeah. And, but she wasn't going to write a review. She just was like, I haven't been surprised in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. she, she's, and, and it was just like a, a beautiful piece that she wrote, a white woman. And and so, but then, you know, black, certain certain black blogs were like, well, it, 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 it provided a problem, but no ointment. You know, it didn't give us this or that. And so it, there's nothing worse, too, as an artist than to be misunderstood. Right. Mm. Or someone to not understand your intent. That's uh, the worst because feeling. My, my intent was to show that Black life is often more celebrated in Black death. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, whether it be Martin Luther King and Malcolm X or fast forward all the way to Tupac and Biggie. You know, it's like we celebrate them more because, of, because they died, uh, you know, in untimely deaths. And, um, and, but, but oftentimes black death causes the black community to wake up, whether it be Emmett Till, fast forward all the way to Trayvon Martin. And so that's really what I was trying to say, um, is that, that we should appreciate our bodies while we still have air in our lungs. And, uh, 
and 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 yeah, but but sometimes you know you can't you can't go sit by everybody and explain that. And also, I learned we don't have control over how people receive our art as well. Yeah, you can't please all the people all the time is what it boils down to. And I wouldn't uh, take it to heart in any way. I mean, I completely get where you were coming from. And that's what I felt watching it. And that's part of the reason I loved it so much. And I thought it was so powerful. I mean, it would have been nice if things had gone another way, just because that's Mm -hmm. always nice. Sure. But, you know, the way that the violence that's done uh, against people of color in this country is absolutely it makes me sick to my stomach. And so I just don't think, I think that not shying away from that is the way, you know, for me as a white person who doesn't know anything about anything is the way to go because it just gets that message out there more to more and more people, people who go to the movies, they take their, you know, their day, they only have a date night and they go see this and they're like, maybe that opens and brings a little more awareness. Maybe that opens people's eyes a little bit more. I mean, yeah, that's my hope. Yeah. And also, too, you know, I've learned because when I was going through that, I was doing a lot of reading. I was doing a lot of soul searching and all that kind of stuff. And I uh, I was doing some research on Lorraine Hansberry for, for something else. And I found like so how some people had misunderstood a raisin in the sun. Not to say that Queen of Slim is at that level at all, but it just kind of. But for me, I just think well, raising the sun is the most perfect piece of you know writing that ever exists. And like that, Mary Baraka had taken out like a, a page, like a full page ad, like talking about how it didn't you know um, reflect the black experience. And then he yeah. later on, later on went on to retract that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Baldwin did a rebuttal about saying how no, it is about the black experience. So the truth is, like, I think art is meant to be debated. Um, no. And that's what really where I landed. Um, I landed there, and I also landed that when we birth something creative, it, we have to give it up and, and not. It's hard not to care what people think because you want people to like your work, but yeah. you can't let that affect you, or else you'll make passive and safe art. And um, nobody. Yeah, I think, that, kind of in a weird way, it's a badge of honor. I mean, well, it's not even in a weird way. It's a badge of honor. <laughs> you know, you can't make great art without. People, people. <laughs> large groups yeah. of people oftentimes mm-hmm. think, you know, trying to run you down. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, look at, I mean, there's so many people, people who will never even be appreciated until after they're gone. But Absolutely. great art is not, I mean, the better the art, the, <laughs> the more that happens in in many cases, not in all, but in many, right. you know. Uh, yeah. I've, what yeah. were you saying? I inter- interrupted my sweet husband. Uh that's, I mean, that's the pitfall is that if you don't, you know, that that's your challenge is to stay true to what you want to make because, mm-hmm. and like you said, everybody has a microphone these days. And if you, right. if you give them enough credence, if you give them any weight, like Shonda Rhimes has a, it's great to say, I'm interested in what you have to say, but then I'm going to go away and do whatever the hell I want to. Cause it's my art because otherwise when you sit down at the keyboard or or the you know sit down at, at your painting or whatever your art is you're asking yourself oh is this going to is this going to upset a certain right. community like what are the all those people that complained about my last thing uh, how are they going to like should i pass like you shouldn't oh, yeah. and that's the pitfall is like not letting them into your process yeah yeah it's a, that that is a part of the work now every day it's just to to silence, you know, to be sensitive. Sure. I think as artists, we can, we can do that. 
because we do what we do is very powerful. But at the same time, you know, we, you know, we we have to have intentionality. And uh, and I think great artists do as long as there's some intent behind it. um, I think you can stand to argue or not argue. Uh, with whoever likes it or, or doesn't like it. And like Megan said, the, you're creating a debate, you're creating a conversation. Huh? And so ultimately, even if some people leave with smoke coming out their ears, you can s- consider yourself a great success. And in this, in this house, you will always be the darling. Oh, and thank you. <laughs> my girlfriend. Perfect. Nick, I feel I like it's time right. to tell you that Lena is my secret girlfriend. Oh, just oh, a wow. little bit. You're great at picking just things. Just a little Honey, bit. You're great it at doesn't matter. Things. Don't worry about it. As long as Nick's cool, it's fine. <laughs> I respect him too much. I respect him too much. I've had a good long term. <laughs> yeah, he's had. Listen, he's <laughs> been all over every square into this. Thing. I've, I've ridden every critter on this merry-go-round. Let somebody else have a turn. <laughs> Oh man, I'm so glad you could come on the podcast, Lena. Oh my it gosh! In, in the pandemic, I mean, it's so crazy, oh, but I'm, I'm so happy it's happening. You know, I know, and maybe next week. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll figure that out later. But I want to do. I still want to do a Facetime with. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be great. I know you're doing something else. You're doing another party. I think. Yeah. That's cool. sorry. So, um, dear listener, thank you so much for um, lending an ear to another episode of In Bed with Nick and Megan. And thank you, Lena. Lena Way. Thank you, Megan. Good night. Thank you, I love you both. with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the bacon cheese slider, 1921 bacon cheese slider, or chicken bacon ranch slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 bacon bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.